Children's Church teachers. Thank you, volunteers. Um, Thank you, nursery volunteers. There's a lot of children's ministry that happens behind the scenes at Resurrection that enables us to to have worship every Sunday. And so when you see those volunteers, uh, tell them thank you. Our passage we're going to look at this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verses... 16 to 26. You can find that in your bulletin or in a Bible. If you have that, you can turn there. Um, as you're turning there, I wonder if you ever feel like there is a battle going on inside of you. Like there's a battle going on inside of you. Uh, two opposing desires battling inside. Maybe think about this in just normal, small ways. The alarm goes off in the morning. Maybe you set the alarm a few minutes early in hopes of, uh, you know, starting the coffee a little bit sooner, maybe just getting a few quiet moments in your Bible or praying before maybe kids wake up or a roommate wakes up and the chaos of the day gets a hold of you. Maybe you want to just get a quiet walk to yourself before the day takes over. And just the, 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 the shock of the alarm, which you can just like never, ever get used to, ever, ever. It wakes you up and you just slam the snooze button down And you're staring at the clock and you're thinking, okay, this is my moment to wake up and drink coffee and read my Bible and go on a walk. Or this is my moment to sleep for another hour. And it's just in just a few split seconds after waking up, the battle starts, right? Do I do this or do I do this? Um, Or maybe let's say you've just finished dinner. You're sitting around the meal and you're like, you're really proud of yourself You only had one portion of dinner rather than two. There was something green on your plate during dinner and you're feeling pretty good about, you know, about how you had some, maybe some self-control at the dinner table. This is speaking from experience. And, um, and then, and then you remember, oh yeah, there are Oreos in the pantry. And then you think, okay, the dilemma starts, the battle starts, right? Do I go get the Oreos? But then there's like another sub battle. Do I bring the whole pack of Oreos back to the table? Do I just get a few or this is like me last week. But the two different desires, right? Just feeling torn between two different things. In the New Testament, in the Bible, the Christian life is often talked about as a battle. Two different desires, two different options, like there's a war going on inside of you. That's what's happening and being described in our passage this morning. We're going to spend this morning in Galatians chapter 5. We're not doing a series in Galatians, it's just here today. We're going to start a new series after Labor Day here in a couple of weeks. But Galatians 5 talks about this battle that we face as Christians. I'll start in verse 16 and read through verse 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The Word of the Lord. Father, we do thank You this morning for Your Word. And we ask You, Holy Spirit, that You would speak to us, apply it to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, two headings this morning as we think about this text together. I want to talk about battling the flesh and walking by the Spirit. Battling the flesh and walking by the Spirit. First, battling the flesh. What is the flesh? That word is used five times in this passage. What is it? Okay, so Paul uses it a lot in Romans and Galatians. He's the the guy that wrote Romans and Galatians. And he uses that term a lot. Um, According to those books, living according to the flesh is living according to our sinful fallen nature. Um, The desires of the flesh are the desires for things outside of God's good design for us. Um, The works of the flesh would then be when we act on those desires and disobey God with how we live. Uh, Maybe the best way to understand the flesh as Paul uses it is in contrast to the spirit like he does in our passage. You can live according to the flesh with its desires and works or you can live according to the spirit with his desires and works. And this is like a really important Christianity 101. You might be here and uh, you might be new to the faith. You might be here and maybe not consider yourself a Christian You're just exploring, you're considering. But this is important to see that um, this condition of being in the flesh or having fallen nature is true for every single one of us. Uh, This is a core belief that you need to understand in order to get the whole Bible. That will unlock a lot about the Bible and Jesus if you understand that being in the flesh, being in sin is not just really bad people who do really bad things. Um, It's not just really mean people. It is all of us. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Just three chapters into the Bible, they eat of that forbidden fruit. These are real people, real history. It really happened. When, When they ate of that fruit, they were functioning not just for themselves, but as the first parents of all humanity. So when they ate of that fruit, it sent them and all of us Plunging into a life in the flesh. It got into our DNA. Or even a beautiful, pure, sweet, innocent little baby that has never uttered a word is born in the flesh. Is born in sin. It's in their DNA. In our communicants class, which is our class for kids who've been baptized but, but haven't, but are, and are ready to make a profession of faith, we met this morning, there's four of us in there. We talk about understanding the bad news and the good news. And we say how you have to understand the bad news if the good news is going to be good at all. The bad news is that we are in the flesh. That is our sinful, fallen nature. And um, we're going to talk about walking by the Spirit here in a moment, but you cannot get on the path to walk by the Spirit until you really understand that you are in the flesh and you can't fix that on your own. And our flesh is actually so deceptive that sometimes our flesh tries to convince us that we're not in the flesh. So in this weird way, our sin convinces us that our sin is not a problem. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says the, the, the heart is um, so deceptive that we cannot understand it. And I'm guessing that resonates true as you think about your own life. Um, the car that I drive, is, it's a great car. It's an older car, though. And so at any given moment, if you look um, at the dashboard of my car, there are multiple indicator lights that are telling me things on my car. You could go turn on my car right now. In fact, the locks don't work on my car. So you really could go like, look at my car right now. And you would see um, a little uh, tire pressure thing for my front right tire. That light's on right now. When I turned it on this morning to drive up here, it, uh, the, it was flashing maintenance required. Um, there's another, there's an exclamation point that seems pretty important. It's just an exclamation point. Um, but this has been the case with this car for years. And, you know, I see these indicator lights and immediately my thinking is everything's fine. No, everything's fine. There, there are no problems here. It's just, there's just a light, right? It's probably on by accident. Or it'll fix itself. Like it'll just go off and it'll be fine, right? Um, but inevitably I take my car into the shop and then they run the diagnostic and they give you the list of like, hey, here's what's actually going on under the hood of your car. This car has real problems and a real price tag to fix all of those real problems. So I'm, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to go on with the indicator lights. Um, think about your own life. It's so easy to try to convince ourselves that we're okay. But there are indicator lights going off saying there, there might be a problem under the hood. But we think, no, 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 my, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. My sin is not that bad. But you see the symptoms. You see the symptoms of being in the flesh. And you see it sort of start to leak out in your life. And Paul calls that the works of the flesh. Let's talk about that. What are the works of the flesh? There's quite a list given in this passage. It's a doozy, 19 to 21. You can sort of group them together into different categories. A lot of commentators try to do that. And I think that that's helpful in understanding them. And Paul says in verse 19 that these are evident. They're obvious. You're going to know them when you see them. And if this is your first time opening the Bible, you think, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So like, that's kind of not the way God intended us to live. That makes sense. Okay, three categories here. The first category of these works of the flesh are sexual. Sexual in nature. Look at this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, orgies. I mean, that just got very serious, right? This is a great picture of how sin messes up good things. Sin messes up God's good things. That's what happens with sex and sexuality. God created sex as a good gift to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Amazing gift. What does sin do? Sin distorts it. Every other variation of sexual expression outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman is outside of God's design for our sexuality. Paul says that's, those are works of the flesh. And you can chase down the implications of that. Uh, much of what the world around us says is good and right and normal is contrary to God's good design for our sexuality. But before we go into culture war mode, let's just start with ourselves. And it's good for us to take a passage like this and, and, and look in the mirror and reflect um, where in our sexuality are we living more according to the flesh than we are according to God's good design? Um, how has our fleshly nature collided with the brokenness of the world around us and shaped how we think about our sexuality? What is forming our views of sexuality? 
Where might God be convicting us and redeeming us and healing us? One common expression of this is pornography. And so much could be said about this. But I'll just say this. that If you are silently battling, trying to keep your head above water, but you feel like you're drowning, you cannot battle on your own. Please reach out. Let light shine into the darkness. This is the first category, our, our sexuality. It's, it's the, these works of the flesh that Paul names. Second category he gives are spiritual. Works of the flesh that are spiritual. This is interesting. He talks about idolatry and sorcery. Uh, the, the late scholar John Stott describes these as ways in which we are trying to be spiritual, but doing so through human means. And if you think about that definition, that's everywhere right now, right? Trying to be spiritual except through human means. Think about sorcery. Um, Sorcery would be uh, like striving after miraculous change apart from God and his spirit. Striving after miraculous change apart from God and his, and his spirit. And it can sort of be difficult to hear a word like sorcery and not unhitch that from something like Harry Potter. You're like, oh yeah, I know what, Harry, what sorcery is. I've seen Harry Potter. Yeah, Get it? yeah, I'm not struggling with that. And you think that doesn't really apply to me, but just think about like how many like life hacks and podcasts where their goal is to fix our problems outside of God. Think about the increasing role of technology in our lives. Instant fixes to instant problems. Miraculous change apart from God. I'm not saying all technology is evil. But the heart behind this idea of sorcery, seeking miraculous change apart from God, it's everywhere. What about idolatry? Idolatry is just giving ultimate allegiance to something other than God. And it doesn't mean like a small statue of some other God. It, it, maybe it's giving full allegiance to something really good like caring about your health. That's a good thing to care for your health. But when you make health your ultimate thing and you begin to obsess over it and everything else in your life begins to serve the God of you being healthy, then things get out of whack. There are lots of other things that we can turn into idols. Parenting, success, achievement, power, acceptance, comfort, you name it. Good things God has given us can turn into idols and they can take our ultimate allegiance. And Paul says, these are works of the flesh. They're spiritual, but they're works of the flesh. And it's an indicator light that something is going wrong under the hood of the car. Third category would be relational. In verses 19 and 21, you see enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And maybe just reading that list, if, I mean, these are true for all of us in our families, in friendships, as a church family. It, it's oddly comforting to read this thing. Okay, I'm not crazy. We're not crazy. These things happen when you bring sinful people together. And what a list to, to take and write out in your journal and meditate on and let the Lord sort of guide you into a time of confession and repentance. But these things are common when you get groups of people together. So we don't need to be surprised when we feel enmity or strife or jealousy or anger or divisions in, within our family or within friendships or within a small group or within a new church. He's saying we're, that's, we're going to see this stuff happen. But we also need to be vigilant with our own hearts and ask God to root out the seeds of any of these things. Again, these are indicator lights signaling that we're living according to the flesh. Drunkenness is on the list too. That doesn't neatly fit into any of those three categories, but pretty self-explanatory, Right? Taking a good gift that God has given us, using it for a purpose that he didn't intend. 
Um, I've shared before that I mowed lawns one summer uh, during college. I was in Texas, one of the hardest summers of work in my life. Um, one of the houses on our uh, normal weekly route um, had peach trees in the backyard. That was my favorite house for two reasons. One, um, as we were driving our stand-up riding lawnmowers. Yes, yeah, stand-up riding lawnmowers. They were amazing. So we were driving them through the backyard. We would grab a peach off the tree, take a bite, and eat it as we're mowing these yards. It was amazing. The second reason I love this house is because all the peaches would fall off the tree into the yard and the big blades in the lawnmower would catch them and send them flying across the yard. And so it was like this war of peaches in the backyard. What kind of trees were they? It's a real question. What kind of trees were they? Yeah, how do we know? Because they had peaches. That's right. How do we know we're living in the flesh? We see the fruit and the works of the flesh in our lives. That fruit is going to tell us what's going on in our hearts. And there's an end to this. What is the ultimate end of living in the flesh? Where does that lead? Verse 21. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When Paul says those who do such things, this is not referring to the follower of Jesus who is battling their sin, repenting, seeking growth, seeking change. This is referring to those who do such things as a way of life. No real repentance. Um, those works of the flesh, that fruit is saying that there's not real spiritual life inside of them. And what an important question to wrestle through. If that makes you a little squirmy, cry out to God. Don't pass over that. If you feel a check in your spirit about that this morning, um, ask God, am I in the flesh? Do I have spiritual life that's being talked about here? Am I walking in the spirit or am I in the flesh? If you are outside of Christ, uh, this life of the flesh is all that you know. But even as a follower of Christ, you still have what is called indwelling sin, which is just that sin that is dwelling inside of you still. Um, and this means that there is a battle going on inside of you. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That battle is happening inside of you right in this moment. That's happening inside of you. And maybe that names something that you have felt before, but you didn't have words for. All right, what does it mean to live as a follower of Jesus with that battle going on? Let's talk about walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Walking is a really common way that, that our relationship with the Lord is described in the Bible. Um, and if you've ever walked a long way, maybe on a long hike, uh, maybe on vacation, maybe you're just hoofing it around the neighborhood with some friends, but you know that you have to be fueled up in order to walk a long way. Um, I love to run, and when I get ready to run a long race, uh, I have a very specific way that I fuel for a long race. It's usually some kind of uh, pasta with a light protein the night before, lots of water, earlier dinner, morning of, brown rice, one egg scrambled, cup of coffee, I'll sip water until I start. It's all planned out. Because I've learned that if I don't feel properly, I will bonk. And bonking is, what, is what a word they use in endurance sports for totally running out of energy. And you can just barely put one foot in front of the other. You're not fueled up anymore. That makes sense, right? Fueling is critical. It's the same for our walk with the Lord. We need fuel. 
And the fuel for our walk is a major theme of Galatians. Let's talk about our fuel for a moment. Here's what it's not. It's not the works of the law. Our fuel is not the works of the law. The key issue in Galatia was that some were requiring believers to become Jewish and follow the outward ceremonies of the law. Requiring things like circumcision in order for them to be truly saved. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That strikes at the very heart of the gospel. And that's actually a false gospel altogether. Obedience to the law, they were saying, that's how you, that's how you save yourself. you got to obey the law. That is not fuel. That is starting with an empty tank and saying you got to fill it up as you go. That is exhausting. Works of the law are not the fuel for our walk. What is the fuel? Justification by faith alone. Earlier in Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 16, listen to what Paul says. Write down 2.16 and go look at that later today. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This means that we are not made right with God by our works. We are made right with God by trusting in Jesus. This means that we don't start the race with an empty tank and try to fill it up as we go by our works. This is how I thought about Christianity when I first became a believer. Think about it this way. Many of us took out student loans to get through college, right? I certainly did. Um, That can be an overwhelming thing to... um, Start your career, you know, you're after, you graduate, you're starting a career, and then you have just this burden of debt to pay for. And many of you are like, why'd you have to bring up student loans? I just wanted to like go to church and not think about my student loans. I want you to imagine that you're at graduation, let's say you took out loans to go through through college or school or whatever, you've got $50,000 in student debt, and someone with means who is very kind calls you and says, hey, look, I love you so much that I'm going to pay the $50,000 of your student loans. In fact, I called the bank this morning. I took care of it. It's finished. I mean, that would be amazing, right? To hear that someone had paid your debt for you and you didn't owe it anymore. It'd be time to celebrate. All right, go big picture. Uh, What just happened to your net worth? You went from having a negative net worth to zero, right? So you're no longer in debt, but you're still broke. But here you go, beginning your career, right? So you don't have this debt anymore. Now it's on you, right? Like fill up the bank account. Go out and earn it now, right? All right, this is often how we think about our justification in Christ. But this is not how it works. All right, it's true that Jesus died to pay that debt that we owed because of our sin. Yes, 100% true. But that's only half of it. Not only are we guilty uh, for breaking the law, but we're also guilty for not perfectly keeping the law. And so it's not simply that we didn't meet the standards of the floor of the law, but that we didn't live up perfectly and fulfill it perfectly to meet the ceiling of the law. There's more to it. I can remember when I first began considering Christianity in high school, I remember thinking, all right, so Jesus forgives me and gives me a clean slate, and now I can like try again try harder and like do it right this time now it's on me he sort of wiped the slate clean now it's on me to earn it 
Listen to how great your justification in Christ is. Your debt of sin has been canceled and a positive credit of righteousness has been put into your account. Think back to the student loans. Not only did that kind, wealthy friend pay off the debt of your student loans at graduation, but guess what? They also loaded your bank account with millions of dollars. And that's a very different way to start your career. That is fuel. And knowing this deep in our hearts gives us fuel to walk in the Spirit, knowing that Jesus forgave us of our sin and He filled our bank account with His righteousness. That is fuel for the walk. All right, so how do we walk? This is really, there's some really interesting language in this passage about, about our relation to the Spirit. Look at verse 16. It says, We're walking by the Spirit, meaning we're living according to our new nature that is ours in Christ, this new righteousness that is springing up in us, not according to the flesh. Look at verse 18. It says, We're led by the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is our guide. He guides us in how we walk and where we should go. Think about the Swamp Rabbit Trail, right? There's a path to follow. You're not like bushwhacking along the Reedy River trying to figure out a path. Just walk on the paved trail. It'll be your guide. It'll tell you where to go. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit guides us and tells us where to go, how to do it. Look down at verse 25. It says to live by the Spirit. This is similar to walking by the Spirit, living according to our new nature and this new reality of our relationship with Jesus. And then verse 25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, this is the image of the Spirit walking beside us and we're, we're matching the pace, right? We're keeping in step. Uh, lately, my, my family has been doing, um, at the request of one of our kids in particular, a lot of uh, family walks around the block after dinner. And, you know, as a parent, you'd be like, yes, we'll take a walk after dinner. It's like the most like, classic American thing we can do, right? And so, um, so all five of us, my wife and I, our three daughters, and Max the dog, we, we all get out and uh, we get out in front of our street and it just starts. It's just so idyllic. The sun is setting low over our neighborhood, full bellies. We just had a great meal together. And here we are on a family walk. It doesn't get any better, right? And then sure enough, two of my kids uh, challenge each other to a race. And so they start racing. And so they're off. We don't see them again. They're off doing their own thing. And then uh, Max the dog pulls me over into someone else's yard or he tries to attack another dog on a walk. So I'm distracted. I'm over here with Max. One of our kids drops back and moves at a very slow pace. And so Aaron drops back to go find her and help with her. And at any given moment, if, if, you, if we get to the other side of the block, you know, a neighbor could look up at their house and it looks like five individuals all in the same family, all on a walk by themselves at the same time. We are not keeping in step with each other. Think about your life in the Spirit. Keeping in step in the Spirit means keeping in step with the Spirit. Staying in sync. Staying on the same page. And the wording and the imagery of this text, um, it tells us that we're both active and passive in this. You may have felt that as we looked through those. We are actively walking in the Spirit. Actively living by the Spirit actively trying to keep in step with the Spirit. We have agency in that. And maybe it's starting our day by praying, Father, keep me in step with your Spirit today. It's active. Uh, we actively, verse 24, crucify the flesh. We battle our sin. There's agency in that. We're intentional. It's on purpose. We actively cultivate a heart that is in step with the Spirit through our prayer and our time in the Scripture, our time in worship and around the Lord's table. We're active. And we are passively led by the Spirit. 
Again, the late scholar John Stott, he describes this as passively submitting to the control of the Spirit, surrendering, letting the Spirit, the Spirit take initiative over our lives and our agendas. It's both active and passive. And this hidden internal force inside all believers, it's the Spirit of God working in you. So that none of this comes from your own strength. It's all God's power in you by the Spirit. And as you keep in step with the Spirit, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's fruit that comes from our walking. Look at verses 22 and 23. Of all this passage, if you're familiar with the Bible, I bet you're somewhat familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Beautiful. And so easy to focus just on the fruit and not the surrounding context of which this fruit is born in this passage. We will see this fruit more and more as we walk in the Spirit. How does all this help us in our battle? That real battle that we're all facing right now? A few things and we'll, we'll finish here. One, it, it helps to name it as a battle. It helps to name it as a battle. The evil one would love for us to be unaware of the fact that a battle is raging inside of us. But naming it in that moment helps us to feel the weight of what's going on to where next time those two opposing things pop up, you think, okay, this is happening right now. This is a battle. And I've got the power of the Spirit inside of me to help me in this battle. He who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. Helps to name it. Secondly, we begin to recognize the power of the cross. Um, This is where we see on the cross that the war has already been won. The outcome has been decided. Jesus wins. He conquers sin, death, evil once for all. But all the little battles continue. And they're going to continue until He comes again and makes us and all things new again. So our life of walking in the Spirit, of battling the flesh, is a life of continually falling at the foot of the cross where we find our forgiveness and our redemption. But the cross begins to be more and more powerful for us. Third and finally, we have a picture, a perfect picture of what walking in the Spirit looks like. Um, we did our, what might be our first, the inaugural, the first annual resurrection bowling event on Thursday night. Thanks for those who came out. It was really fun. Those who weren't there, we missed you. Um, we had um, half of the bowling alley to ourselves, and, uh, which was really cool. It was so awesome to see our church family out there bowling together. And I got there and I was talking to the lady that was in charge and she said, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got this half of the, of the bowling alley. But just so you know, on the other half of the bowling alley, there's like a league that's bowling and they're pretty good. They're bowling for money tonight and this is their last night. So if you could not have any kids bowl in the lane right next to them, that would be great because they're going to be very focused. And it was amazing. You could look over. There was some kind of bowling happening, happening on our half of the, of the bowling alley that night. And there was a different kind of bowling happening with this league. You could look over and you could see, oh, that, that's bowling. Looking at Jesus, it's the fruit of the Spirit lived out. What do these things look like? Look at Jesus. What does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit? Jesus. What does it look like to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit? Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of what this looks like. And it is beautiful. And He offers Himself to you this morning. Once you reach out, cry out to Him in faith. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you that you really do love us. You love us so much that you sent Jesus to lay his life down on the cross for the works of our flesh, to pay the penalty that we deserved. And then by his resurrection, he gives us this new life, his righteousness, so that in him we might be given the spirit of God, this helper, to grow this fruit inside of us, to to lead us, to guide us. Oh, would you today help us to battle well, to battle the works of the flesh, and to keep in step with your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you just to reflect for a moment and to quiet your hearts as we prepare to come to the table.